Hi guys, I am so excited to be sharing this bonus episode with you all with my beautiful and intelligent, amazing friend, Brookie McElvain. I really feel honored to have spent time talking to her and catching up and I'm just really excited to um, have you all listen in on our conversation. Um, As always, I am sponsored by BetterHelp. So if anyone has been feeling down or feeling like they need to talk to someone um, and, you know, haven't really dipped their toes yet into therapy, I 100% recommend BetterHelp Counseling. It's the largest online counseling service and they will match you with a licensed professional to talk these things through. I know these times seem really tough, but I think um, the best way to really navigate through all this uncertainty is by you know, processing our feelings and having a really great soundboard to help you do that. So if you use my code, you can get 10% off your first month. Um, and I just, again, would really, really recommend it. So you can just go to trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash Z-O-E. Um, and then you'll get 10% off your first month. And yeah, and hopefully you can have as great an experience with it as I'm having right now. Um, Without further ado, though, here is Brookie. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am beyond excited and extremely honored to be here with Brookie McElvain, who is not only an incredible friend, but also just a real light for myself and everyone she comes in um, in contact with. So, Rookie, thank you so much for being here. This is truly a special episode. Thank you, Zoe. I'm so excited to be on it. I'm such a fan of the podcast and such a fan of you. So I'm definitely so excited to be here. Well, okay. I know these answers, but just to give my listeners a little bit of like background information, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Just tell me a little bit, a bit about yourself. Awesome. So yeah, my name is Brookie. I'm from Connecticut originally, but um, I went to boarding school in Delaware, which is how Zoe and I know each other. She was in my older brother's class and I was in her younger sister's class. Um, but our boarding school was the type of place where, you know, whatever grade you were in didn't really matter. Everyone kind of hung out. And um, I found that especially post-grad. I've spent mm-hmm. time on all grades and been like, it doesn't really matter. But um, then I went to college. I went to University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and I just graduated in May. So I'm living at home right now and trying to find a job. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like many people can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. But congrats on graduating. The Zoom University 2020. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all very weird, but I'm feeling very grateful to be like safe and with my family and everyone in my family safe. And, um, I'm worried about not having a job, but I'm gonna, I'm, I'm finding lots of exciting options. So not too bad. That's awesome. So you work pretty closely, very closely with the American foundation for suicide prevention. Um, you're the first one who really told me or opened my eyes about all the incredible work they're doing. Um, if any of my listeners remember, I had Dr. Doreen Marshall, who's the vice president of, programming for the AFSP on um, an episode earlier this year. So I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about how you got involved um, 
with the AFSP um, and what you're doing for them now. Um, absolutely. I actually love that episode that you um, recorded and I thought it was great. But um, so my brother, my older brother, whose grade you were in, passed away in 2017. So just over two years ago. And um, pretty soon after he passed away from suicide, pretty soon after he died, I was really itching to kind of channel my my feelings and my pain into some kind of tangible way of change or just some kind of like productive um, productive outlet for all that I was feeling. And I was speaking with some therapists and some other mental health professionals and they all were suggesting I look at AFSP. Um, so for those of you who didn't hear that last episode or don't know, AFSP is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, so I reached out and eventually was connected with Ashley Alberto, who's, um, I kind of, I mean, she's, I think of her as a great friend at this point, but she's just totally helped me um, navigate the AFSP world and navigate setting up, getting involved in this work. Um, so with her help, and she's just, she's like one of my heroes, she's awesome. But with her help, I set up the Running for Al Fund, which um, was a memorial fund for my brother. And it sounds really weird because like raising money isn't necessarily something that like people normally think of as like a morning strategy, but I became obsessed with raising money and like almost like competitively. So with myself, like I, I, I decided to run the New York city marathon in 2018, which was the year, like only a couple of months before a year of his anniversary. And, um, so I worked on fundraising for that. I designed these t-shirts. I had, some in-person fundraisers, but I just, I got really enthusiastic about um, the work they were doing and just like wanted to throw my entire energy into helping them do that work. Um, and like at first it definitely was kind of like a coping, you know, like something to distract me, but then I started learning more about the programs themselves and just realized how little I knew um, and how little my family knew and my communities that I was a part of knew. And so that really led me to speaking about AFSP um, with everybody that I came into contact with. Like my friends kind of made it into a bit at a certain point, but you know, there were so many programs, so many stats, so many education um, points that I just really had no idea about. And of course, like with all of that exciting knowledge and growth, I, it all was kind of like tinged with the sadness because I was like, Oh, I wish I had known all of this before my brother had passed away. Um, and part of, you know, part of it's it, having a relationship with somebody who is mentally depressed or has anxiety or some other mental illness um, is so difficult for so many reasons. But I think, you know, there's just not, there's not any type of, no one really tells you how to handle it. And no one really tells you how to be there for that person in the kindest, most supportive way you can. And I think that's something that I regret. Um, in a lot of ways towards the end of my brother's life, um, just the ways in which I communicated my love for him and my concern over his illness. Um, so yeah, I would say AFSP in a lot of ways just really shaped how I look at mental health, mental health education, and I'm just so inspired by the work they do. Um, and then through the Running for Al Fund, which I, I actually ran a second marathon also to continue, and that fund's going to go on for a while in, I hope at least, but I was connected with project 2025, which is 
what I'm so, so excited to talk about today. Um, but that's, that's kind of the extent of my involvement in AFSP and just, I have so much gratitude for them, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I, your work for them has been incredible. I literally have this memory of sitting on the porch with my dad and it was when your fund first launched and I was refreshing it. And every time I would refresh the page, it was like the little green bar is getting longer and longer. And it was like the craziest thing. I was like, dad, look, look, it's at this. Like, it's yeah. just amazing to see um, that you were able to take your pain and put it into a purpose. So Thank I you. think I, I so appreciate you saying that. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to do the same. So I, I understand. I feel, I feel that. But it's, I think you've inspired so many people, including me, um, in, you know, working to raise awareness about the AFSP and all the endeavors they're doing. Because it's really through you that I even learned about their work. And it's true. There's just not enough education around these topics, which is the thing you need most in order to help address them is like the, to acknowledge them. So, um, and then I think what's really cool about project 2025, um, which we'll go into is like, it makes what their, their work they're doing really tangible. So I was hoping you could explain a little bit more about uh, what the committee is and specifically what their goal is. Yeah. So, um, firstly, thank you. Thank you for saying all that, but the, the thing with, so the running for all fund was such a great outlet for me, but one thing that frustrated me was, um, you know, and, and this is something I'm so grateful for. Like sometimes when I'm having a hard day or missing my brother, I'll read through the donor messages, the donor drive, because people just like, it's not only, not only do people say the kindest, sweetest things about my family and about my brother, but they also, um, just open up in really beautiful, vulnerable ways that, to me is the most like exciting and empowering step forward for people to see that kind of um, vulnerability and, and conversation happening. But like you said, I kind of, I got to a point with the running for Alpha where I was like, I want to see, I want to know where this money's going and I want to see some kind of specific target here, um, which is why Project 2025 is perfect. Um, so yeah, Project 2025 has a committee of about, I think it's seven or eight people who all have experienced a personal loss of some sort, but are involved in all these different industries and fields across the country. Um, so it's really cool to see this, this project embedded in, in different aspects of um, culture and medicine and whatever. Um, but it's essentially a project that um, used this modeling exercise to help you know, gauge who we're losing, how we're losing them, um, where, and just get a sense specifically of how we can save lives in the shortest amount of time. Um, and so the results found, well, first, I can share, these are a couple stats that I feel like just really blew me out of the water when I first started this, this work. Um, uh, so according to the CDC, on average, one American dies by suicide every 11 minutes, and um, there's about 49,000 deaths in, in, this was in 2018, from suicide a year. Um, and so this, these stats alone just make me realize like how important part of 2025's work is um, in just saving lives and, and improving um, this illness. So it looks at, it already, it complements the work that AFSP already does, which is you know, advocacy and education, research, loss support programs, and so on. But it looks at these four areas, firearms, um, 
medical systems, including emergency rooms and um, correctional facilities. So um, within these four, there are some crazy, some crazy stats that I had no idea about and some projections for what Project 2025 aims to do. So firearms, um, and if, if I'm like rambling on these stats, feel free to interrupt because I realize they're a little bit dense, but. No, um, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating, but it's also just insane. It's yeah, it's, it's, it really helps give you, because, you know, your perspective on suicide is so limited to how people around you talk about it and your perspective mm-hmm. on mental health. And, like, one thing I noticed is it's, yeah, suicide's talked about in such a strange way by everybody, but in the media, especially, it's talked about, you know, like, I, I'm embarrassed to say I do this, but I read the Daily Mail, and it's, like, Kaya Gerber goes to a Black Lives Matter protest and then the next one's like teen dies by suicide in New Jersey I'm like why is this on the Daily Mail like that's not like yeah it it feels totally voyeuristic and glamorized but yeah so these stats kind of help me ground what's actually happening but um firearms account for half of all suicides in the U.S. and so that by that logic if 50 percent of all individuals who purchase a firearm are exposed to um, some type of suicide prevention education, and that assuming a 20% effectiveness of that education, there's an estimated 20, or sorry, 9,500 lives saved through 2025. So that's only with educating 50% of people who own a firearm and with a 20% effectiveness. Yeah, that's insane. And that's still like almost 10K. I know it's such a, it's such a hopeful number. So, and that's through 2025, which is only five, five years away. Um, and, um, another one that's crazy is 45% of people who die by suicide visit their primary care physician the month prior to their death. So that like, that resonates with me for so many reasons, but I just feel like it really illustrates the gap in our healthcare system of like holistic health, not like mind and body. Um, and with that, if we identify people who are at risk and provide them with short-term intervention, um, then you can expect an estimated 9,200 lives saved by 2025. So just there alone, it's like, you know, a ton of people being saved by this project. Um, and so, yeah, these, those are just two stats that really blew me away. There's so many other, and of course, you know, mass incarceration right now is, um, it's such an important thing to consider in talking about suicide because of the ways in which our system disproportionately impacts um, black people and, and black communities. So um, yeah, I would say for so many reasons, there, there are so many, um, parts of this project that really resonate with me and I'm really excited about. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think it also puts into context, like the intersectionality of suicide and mental illness, because that's one thing about mental health is like, it really, I mean, obviously it impacts different groups of people in different ways or to different extents, but at the end of the day, everyone in, in some way, shape or form can struggle with mental health. And it, it like, it doesn't, imp, you know, doesn't uh, discriminate against some based on race, gender, sexual yeah. orientation, what have you. Um, but it's, I mean, it's crazy. And it, what the first part reminds me of in terms of firearms, because I think there's, there's a con- statistic that I get confused with because a, it's crazy either way, but it's, 50 like 50 percent of suicides are by firearm um and then on the flip side 
50% of all gun deaths are suicides. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so that's crazy to think about, especially when, you know, we're, we're talking about police brutality and all of these other things that are obviously like very correlated to them having, you know, carrying AR-15s around and stuff. But if you think about all of the gun deaths that happen and then say, wait, oh, if we multiply that by two or more, like, I think it just puts into context, like, why there needs to be a conversation around gun control. And it just adds a whole extra layer of, like, right to bear arms, but, like, who's impacted by that? Totally. So, um, I, that's why I always get confused with it, but it's just, either way, it's crazy. And um, I'm not sure if you read Malcolm Gladwell's book, The uh, Talking to Strangers. Yeah, I love that book. But... Yeah, I think the comparison he does, and ta- he basically, for anyone who hasn't read it, I recommend reading the audiobook or listening. It's amazing. Um, and he talks about how there's this, there's this theory called uh, coupling, which is mm-hmm. like putting a feeling and a means together, which is the only way to create an outcome. Whereas if you remove a feeling or if you remove the means the person won't do the same act. So he talks about um, how in like England in I want to say the like 1800s, maybe later. Yeah. There was a like the the hydrogen monoxide was used for gases inside of like um, like kitchens. Mm-hmm. And they banned that in like 1977 they switched to natural gas Mm -hmm. and the number of deaths by carbon monoxide dropped at the same rate as the switch from the town gas so it was like a directly proportional that if you get rid of you know the means to an end you won't have that end so i mean obviously there's a whole conversation around gun control but i think it just also really what another thing that is just really interesting about all these things is that it really shows how it all connects a lot to who is running our country and like who we elect and it puts like voting it puts mental health in the same context as all of these other um you know points that are spoken by people running for congress people running for governor etc yeah i so many so many things you just said speak to me um the coupling phenomenon definitely helped me make sense of the impact of project 2025's target on firearms because you know whether it's the gas ovens example or the golden gate bridge or um uh you know in the israeli army um they stopped letting soldiers take their weapons home um and that the same phenomenon happened where when you took out the means the suicide rate drops almost to zero and of course people end up finding means otherwise and it's still the issue still persists but I think that's a misconception that um, it's not, you know, it's not just because of the means, but when you take that away and make it less accessible, um, it really improves the rate. And not to mention, I mean, firearms are the most lethal form of, um, you know, like there's little room for error there um, as opposed to pills or other forms. And um, so I think that that makes, that calls to even more urgency for me. And, you know, I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about like, policy and voting and the importance of um, considering who's who's leading that. But what I like about this project is that 
it works with these groups. Um, it works with recreational gun groups. It works with um, gun ownership associations um, as opposed to, you know, preaching or judging or trying to ban guns because like we live in America, people are going to want their guns. And even if that's personally not my, you know, I don't, I don't really want a gun ever and I don't like guns. It's just the reality. And so it's more sustainable and um, collaborative to work with these groups on education as opposed to just preaching, which I think Project 2025 does in a great way. Um, yeah. And I, I totally hear what you're saying. Also, like, I think the ties with Black Lives Matter right now are even more important between the firearms and the mass incarceration part of Project 2025. Um, and it just, I mean, there's some stats that really make me realize, you know, this is, this epidemic impacts everybody, but in systems of incarceration, particularly black people, um, it's, it's shown that suicide rates of adults in custody have risen 30% in the recent years. And which means that people in prison are four times more likely to commit suicide than the general population. And because black people are disproportionately represented um, in the prison community, then that stat disproportionately impacts them. Um, and this one is just one that really blows my mind. Um, people in solitary confinement are 12 times more likely to die by suicide than the general population. And black people make up 45% of solitary confinement population. So, you know, mental health is an issue for everybody and it really, does not discriminate, as you said, but right now this this issue in prisons is disproportionately impacting black people, and and I just I hate that twelve times more likely is that's so insane. inhuman. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible. So, uh, so I guess the on like the the flip side in terms of like you know what the outcome of this would be like what does twenty twenty five look like if this is successful, and if we do reduce that suicide rate, which by it was by twenty percent, I forget if you said that or yeah, as a reminder, yeah, so twenty percent by twenty twenty five. Um, so as as I'm sure everyone knows, like the suicide rate's at the highest it's been um, in more than thirty years, and within these four departments, they've identified an estimation of how many lives could be saved through education methods and and other um, type of involvement. So as I said, with guns, an estimated um, 9,500 lives saved. And then with um, healthcare systems, 9,200 9, lives saved. With emergency departments, um, 1,100. And correctional facilities, also 1,100. And as I said, that's assuming a 20% effective rate. And um, only looking to educate, in some cases, like 50% of the community. So reducing the suicide rate to 10.3 would be the um, the hope of a 20% decrease, which would be the lowest it's been in more than 30 years. So it's definitely an ambitious goal, but as I said, I have all the faith in the FSP and I think Project 2025 is going to be successful because it's going to continue that work. Um, it's embedded within the FSP as opposed to separate from it. And, you know, all of the, um, all of these programs already exist and everything. It, it Project 2025 just is specialized and more specific using that um that model and um there's definitely like people are very invested in this like as a as a board member i have to raise a certain amount of money which um i'm excited about but a little nervous about and there i think we have a five million fundraising goal and there's a donor who's agreed to match donations so wow. people are definitely like have an emotional and um just a general interest in this and 
it's exciting to see it's exciting to see and gain traction even though COVID's obviously slowed it down dramatically but yeah yeah it's also interesting that I was actually about to I've been thinking about COVID and the pandemic and it's kind con- like in mental health um kind of as it relates and I think I mean on one hand yeah, I think that the mental health as of our population as a whole has gone down significantly through this pandemic and afterwards because people are experiencing loneliness and anxiety for like the first time mm-hmm. or like real like isolation. Um, ironic, I feel like, and I, I think I was talking to this too, um, I was talking about this with someone else on the podcast, but I feel like because I've had anxiety for so long that when this happened, I was like, Oh, why is it like everyone freaking out? Like, like well, this is my lo- this is my yeah. life. Like, I'm I'm always worried about the world ending, like because of germs. Totally. Um, but in all seriousness, I think that's definitely um, it, it's a scary thing. But I also have seen a side of the world and people opening up a lot more because of this. Because we're all suddenly affected by this the same crazy thing that's beyond our control that was seemingly so random and so sudden. And I've just seen a lot more conversations about like, how are you really doing? And let's talk about mental health. Let's talk about therapy. Let's talk about all these things that have such a taboo, like air when they're brought into a conversation, but they need to be destigmatized or else, as we mentioned, like nothing will be changed. So I'm really hoping that you know, as we begin to come out of this pandemic and also just as Gen Z becomes more and more part of like society in terms of like, as they grow older, I, I think there's a lot of hope for the future. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I feel like in a lot of ways, what I love about your podcast is how it's so targeted towards, you know, younger communities and like n- new additions to the working, working class and stuff. I feel like, I don't know, I think with COVID, the change of pace has really allowed for mental health to like be a part of the conversation and be on the table in a way that our regular lives do not, you know, like most, I just graduated from college, as I said, and like most of the time it's like, you know, everyone's so concerned with going out and getting into the job they want to get into and um, getting the grade they want in the class they they're really worried about and whatever. And so it's like those anxieties manifest in totally different, really unhealthy ways. And now that, we're really, you know, stuck in place. Um, it feels like people are going on walks and just slowing down their life in a way that really allows for mental health to be kind of like more in question, as you said, like talking about all these things that are more taboo. So yeah, I've definitely been grateful for that. And I think like I've seen, I've seen that change within my family and the communities that I'm a part of. Um, uh, and just kind of like learning more about each other and learning more about like, how people see the world and how how that perspective is so fraught sometimes with anxiety or depression. And, um, you know, you can never really get in someone else's head and know what that's like, but the quarantines definitely helped me with those people in my life just share share those perspectives. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's like a permission slip to take a break. It's totally. like how I see it and just rest. Um, totally. Because I think we're past that phase of like needing to clean and meaning to make banana bread and like all that and finally it's just like enjoying the summer like yeah I would if I were you know going into fifth grade as opposed to going into my 25th year of life yeah (laughs) totally and it's so funny like you're saying the banana bread example it's like 
I have so many friends who had these like really intense projects or goals or whatever it was in quarantine. And now like, although some of them have achieved those projects, so many are like now just kind of accepting that in period of inactivity. And um, yeah, it's totally, I'm hoping that a lot of the habits developed and a lot of the ways of dealing with anxiety developed during this quarantine, um, which we're not close to being done with, I feel like sadly, um, will will transcend and, and apply to regular or quote unquote regular life, whatever that's gonna be. Definitely. Um, so you mentioned that you have a certain amount of money to raise. Mm-hmm. How much money is that? It's $100,000, which um, it's such a bad time to be asking people for money. And I feel like as a college student or recent grad who has no job, I'm like, I can't ask people for that kind of money. <laughs> I can't even give like $20. But yeah, so $100,000 is a lot. Well, I hope to help in some way because I'm excited to announce that we are launching um, a collaboration with Project 2025 and Beach Beads by M, which is a bracelet making company by um, that was founded by one of our ambassadors at Salsa in the City. Um, she makes little bracelets that are like very beachy and anklets and things like that. And they're going to have little clouds on them um, and stars and be very pretty. So, and then all the proceeds are going to go to your fund. So hopefully that gets a little bit. Um, That's a huge help. Oh my gosh. That's a huge help. And like, I think it's, the money is always so helpful, of course, but what I think is so cool is like, you know, just sharing. And I like, thank you so, so much for having me on this and allowing me to share this story, but sharing the, my, the memorial fund I created for my brother or sharing my project page. Um, it just creates conversations like, in addition to generating some kind of donation, it, it creates conversations between people that you really never thought you would have, you know, like, um, even between you and me, Zoe, like, I feel like I always considered you like someone I looked up to and admired a ton at St. Andrews, but then, um, you know, this is something Alexander's death has just totally opened up a new part of our relationship. And I think that's, what's so cool about sauce in the city and the running for all fund or whatever. It just, it, it really allows people to let their guard down and like open up. And so even if, um, people aren't able to give, I feel like, I hope they can share the story and share the project 2025 page just to educate and, um, no, let people know that, um, you know, we're working on a really exciting project and that if they're struggling, then this is some hope. Yeah. And something to focus on and and kind of channel that energy into as well. Totally. Um, So I always ask my guests these five questions um, as I wrap up. So you're not excluded from that. (laughs) So Brookie, my first question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? Hmm. Question. Um, Wow. That's a really good question. I, I think that training for the marathons has made me a stronger person. That might seem like an easy answer, but I, I think that as we discussed, like so much of our life, you're go, go, go so busy and it really prevents you from um, dealing with stuff that you just put into a different container. And I'd be on these runs by myself for like two and a half hours and you just, you, your mind has to go to those places whether or not you want it to. So that's, that was so hard for me and honestly more exhausting than the running itself was going through these difficult memories and difficult questions I had about death and my brother and myself and just really looking at yourself with an honest lens. Um, 
so yeah, that definitely has made me stronger. Marathons are not going to happen because of COVID because like- Gives you a little bit of a break. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Is there a favorite quote or mantra that you live by? Um, yeah, I would say one of my family friends um, who's been a great, um, she's one of my parents' best friends, has been a great support um, system for us. She lost a family member soon after we lost Alexander and she shared this quote, um, I, I'm gonna butcher it, but um, every day might not be joyful, but find joy in every day, um, which I thought just really, not only reminded me of Alexander's perspective on life, Alexander was my brother, but um, it also just made me realize, you know, like even if you are going through something, you have so many things to be grateful for and so much to find joy in. And so, you know, like we, when after Alexander died that whole year, we just would, my mom and I would crack up about the stupidest things because like you just kind of, your perspective is totally changed and you have to you realize what you're grateful for and, and realize what you still have. Um, so yeah, that quote's definitely something I think about a lot. I love that. Yeah, it's great. If a crystal ball could tell you something about yourself, your life, the future, or anything else, what would you most want to know? Ooh, one of many get a job. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I would say, um, I don't even know if I'd want to know anything about my life. I think I would just maybe what I'm gonna have for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. I think I've just realized, like, not, even if you can't really plan for anything, so. Exactly. It's, yeah. Especially with this pandemic, that's. That's a really interesting question. Yeah, especially with the pandemic. What do you love most about yourself? Ooh, um, this is good. I, I need to know this for my job interviews. But <laughs> I think what I love most about myself is I love asking people questions and I love which some might say makes me nosy and that might be true, but I love just learning more about what people think and how they see themselves and um, kind of how they go about the world. I think like just curiosity is something that has definitely led my, my relationships with people. I love that. You should start a podcast. <laughs> I should. Oh I'm very God. similar in that way. I'm like, I just love talking to people. I know. And like we, we laugh because we have like all these strange questions we ask whatever like we had friends over the other night and my little brother was like if you were dessert based on your personality like what kind of dessert would you be and everyone was like what and I was like obviously blueberry pie like <laughs> no it was it's just like this family culture definitely of strange questions <laughs> I love it I I ask those same questions at work for our like question of the day I'm like what what's your spirit vegetable and everyone's like what I'm like baby <laughs> carrot <laughs> Andy's totally asked that it's so funny and like <laughs> Some of our guests like totally jump in, um, but some of them are like, um, I don't know, like a cookie. <laughs> Amazing. And last question, which is the name of the podcast, is how do you find solace in the city or just anywhere? Yeah. Um, I would say my family, um, my friends, and food. Nice. Yeah. Three Fs. Three Fs. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Brookie, I'm going to link your fund to this episode so that everyone can see it and learn more about it. Um, I guess you don't have an Instagram. So where can everyone, you know, follow things that you are passionate about and educate themselves about things that you are passionate about? Um, I guess my Facebook, but yeah, my Facebook, I, I, 
definitely post on. And I can also send my email and my um, phone number, or maybe just my email, but <laughs> anyone has any questions specifically about this project or just in general wants to hear more about what's going on and wants to get involved. So and I welcome any and all comments or questions. So please email or reach out. Amazing. Well, Rookie, thank you so much again. Thank you, Zoe. And yeah, bye everyone. You're the best. Talk to you later. <laughs>